Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. Thank you for joining us. As you listen to the proclamation of God's Word, our prayer for you is the same prayer Jesus prayed for His church in John 17, 17. Lord, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're beginning in verse 12, and we're going to go through verse 20. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. Because we bore witness against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now... Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, open our minds and our hearts today to see the magnificent truth of Your Word. What an incredible, powerful message that we have before us today. Lord, give us the courage to change our lives, to align our lives with the truth of Your Word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you'll indulge me for a moment, I want to tell a little story about our youngest daughter, Kennebeth. Uh, when she was probably about four years old, the other two were already at school. And uh, Kenna was in her room watching the movie Mighty Joe Young. And toward the end of the movie, there's a scene at an amusement park where the giant gorilla, Joe, he saves a young boy from certain death. The Ferris wheel comes crashing down to the ground and Joe wraps the boy in his arms and they both plummet to the hard concrete below. The young boy is safe, of course, but it seemed in an act of self-sacrifice, mighty Joe Young had given his life to save the child. And then, of course, the heroine in the story begins to cry. She says his name several times and then she lays her head on his arm and she begins to stroke his hair and the shot widens and the score swells with these mournful violins and then it begins to fade into silence. Kenna, of course, in this very moment is highly offended and heartbroken and she bolts out of the room and makes her way down the stairs and she cries out, Mama! And Krista's in the kitchen and As Krista does, she says, what is wrong with you, right? What is wrong with you? And Kenna says, he died. And she was just heartbroken. Mighty Joe Young had died. And what she thought in that moment was all is lost. He's gone. He died. And of course, Krista consoled her little girl and gave her something to eat in that moment. But she never went back upstairs to finish the end of the movie. So as far as she knew, that was the end of the movie. 
Had she not, spoilers by the way, this movie came out, you know, I don't know, 20 some years ago, guys. So, had she not ran out of the room so abruptly, she would have found that as the violins fade in that moment, the scene cuts again to a close up of the heroine. And as mighty Joe Young lifts his finger to touch her face as if to wipe a tear out of her eye. And of course, she yells, He's alive! And elation spreads through the crowd as they realize that the giant gorilla, mighty Joe Young, is in fact alive. However, Kenna, significantly scarred and traumatized and dejected, uh, I mean, I'm certain she probably ate Teddy Grahams or something after that to drown her sorrow or PB&J or whatever. But if anything could console Kenna, it's food. That's, that's just the way she is. And she was left to believe, though, that that was the end of the story, that it was all over. And what a terrible movie she must have thought, like in that moment. The whole thing was pointless. It was meaningless. I wish I had never watched that movie. Anybody ever felt that way after watching a movie? That was a complete and total waste of time. Well, in our passage today, on an eternal scale, Paul uses a, a similar tactic, if you will, to elicit the same sort of emotion to make his argument. In this passage, here we find ourselves in this scenario once again at this church in Corinth where the majority of those there in that church are still wrestling with their former beliefs, their former religion. There were some there who were not true believers at all, but they still held fast to their old pagan religious beliefs and simultaneously acted out some semblance of what Christianity might look like in that day. The Greeks taught that there was no such thing as the bodily resurrection. Their philosophy was that their spirit was good and the flesh was evil. So the idea of being raised in a new body was highly offensive to them because it would have been akin to starting all over again in the prison of a body. Not unlike you and I thinking about being reincarnated in some other country and some other body and some other, you know, some other whatever, just a completely different scenario. Who wants to go back and do this all again, right? Well, that was sort of how they thought of it. Uh, for the Greeks, the body was intertwined with corruption. So to leave their body behind in death was vital. That was what they looked forward to. As a matter of fact, in 220 AD, there was a philosopher named Celsus, and he said this, quote, to believe in a physical resurrection is to have the hope of worms. To believe in the physical resurrection is to have the hope of worms. I struggled with whether or not I should call the sermon the hope of worms, um, but I, I decided against it. To those Greeks, that was a preposterous idea. So some of these Corinthian believers were saying, no one rises from the dead. Everything is spiritual. There is no physical resurrection of a human body. And Paul's saying to them, if that's what you say you believe is true, the consequence is that all is lost. The whole thing is pointless. It's meaningless. Because the linchpin of Christianity, the thing that holds all of this together, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you can't have one resurrection without the other resurrection. If indeed you say you are a believer, believing the resurrection of Christ is a non-negotiable. In fact, chapters 15, 1 through 11 that we covered last week, it, it states that emphatically, that that very fact is the truth. It's the core of the gospel. Christ lived, he died, he was buried, and he was raised to live again, and he appeared 
to specific people, that passage tells us, 500 eyewitnesses, and then the apostles. He appeared to specific people, and that proved that he was indeed resurrected. That's what we preached, Paul says. That was the good news that you heard, and that is actually what you say you believed, that Christ was resurrected. So again, you can't just pick and choose which things theologically you want to believe and what things you don't. If you believe that Jesus was resurrected, he himself told us that all those who believe in him would be resurrected as well. That's the way it works. So Paul poses this question in verse 12, if you'll look again at that verse with me. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You can't say that you're a Christian and deny the resurrection of Jesus, and you can't deny the resurrection, the future resurrection of all the saints. See, they seem fine with the resurrection of Jesus. They apparently believed that. They had a much more difficult time with their own bodily resurrection because of their former beliefs. So Paul makes the point, you can't have one without the other. They believe there is no resurrection of bodies that are already in the state of death. They say bodies don't rise again. Spirits rise, but not bodies. Dead bodies, as many of you might know, they grow cold. This chemically, the rigor mortis sets in, then they decay. And we become dust again. And Paul points then to the first consequence of their believing that. If that is true, folks, then Christ has not risen. Christ has not risen. Jesus was all God as much as if he was not man at all. But he was also all man as if he was not God at all. He was man. And as a man, he was just as fragile and just as mortal as you and I. His body was a human body. He was a man. John 1 says that the Word became flesh. And then John, uh, John then says, we saw Him, we heard Him, we touched Him. Galatians 4, 4 says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. He was born of a woman just like you and I. There are no test tube babies in the room, as far as I know. Every single one of us came into this life the exact same way as did Jesus. Luke 2.52 says that Christ grew in wisdom and in stature. So he grew intellectually, he grew in his mind, and he grew in stature as a man. He was a man. Hebrews 2.17 says that he had to be made like his brothers in all things. Verse 18 says he himself was tempted and he suffered. So he faced the same types of things as a man that you and I face on a daily basis. And when, when Pilate had him flogged and then the robe put on him, he pointed to Jesus and he said, what? Behold the man. Behold the man. At times, Christ felt deep sorrow and grief. We see him weeping and at times we see him weeping bitterly. At times he was hungry at times he was thirsty. We find him sleeping in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. There were times that he was weary, almost to the point of death. 
There were times in the Garden of Gethsemane where he sweat great drops of blood because of the intense pressure and stress of what lie ahead. At times he was righteously angry. His human body was beaten mercilessly and he was flogged until he was not recognizable. Piercing his hands and feet with nails, they fastened him to a cross and there his body hung. And he suffocated as his lungs filled with fluid. As any human body would do, Christ's body succumbed to the brutality that he faced. And there on that cross he died. In post-mortem they pierced his side. And the Bible says that blood and water flowed from the wound. They lowered him from the cross and they prepared his body for burial. He was laid in that tomb. And he did rise again. He came out of the grave. He was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. Jesus Christ was a man. So you turn to the book of Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 33 through 43. Luke 24 verses 33 through 43. And they stood up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those with them who were saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they were relating their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. Now while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace to you. But being startled and frightened, they were thinking that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were, and while they still were not believing... Because of their joy and were still marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. So why would Jesus, in essence, put on this show for them? It was to prove to them that he was not a spirit and that, in fact, he had his body. It was his resurrected body. He was still a human, but a human in a glorified resurrected body. He made it a point to see to it that they understood this. And here in 1 Corinthians, Paul's making a point to see to it that they understand it as well at the church at Corinth. Since they believe the bodies of dead men cannot rise, Christ's body couldn't rise either. Paul establishes that as the basis for his following points. As we look at Scripture, he goes on to illustrate how if that first domino falls, then more dominoes begin to fall in succession. And if followed to its final conclusion, the conclusion itself is devastating to you and I and devastating to Christianity. Look at verse 14 in 1 Corinthians 15. Starting again in verse 14. And if Christ had not been raised, 
then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is in vain. Romans 1.4 says that Jesus was designated as the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. His resurrection means everything. That was the power displayed. If there was no resurrection, then there was no power displayed. And in turn, there is no designation that Christ actually was the Son of God. And we may as well just end the sermon right here today. If in fact this is true, we can just all get up out of our seats and begin tearing things down and leave this place for the very last time and never come back here ever again. If what they believe is true, if Christ is not raised, this is all foolish. And folks, I'm 48 years old and that means that I've wasted my life in all this study and all the things I believe and and giving of myself and all the time that I've personally poured into it and you've personally poured into it, everything I've ever said was a lie. Do you see how this matters? How important it is? It's not a trivial truth here. Everything rests upon this truth. This is the linchpin. Everything hinges on the resurrection. If resurrection is not possible, then... Brothers and sisters, when you heard the good news and you were moved by that message, it wasn't an act of God. It was simply emotional. It meant nothing. It was a fabrication. Your faith was misplaced on a lie and it's all meaningless. There is no good news. There is no hope. Everything is lost and everything will remain lost eternally if Jesus failed to defeat death. Redemption is impossible. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Acts 4, 12, it says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. So if it isn't Jesus... It isn't anyone, and we're lost. Look at verse 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we bore witness against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. If bodily resurrection is impossible, that makes, to make matters worse, we've been found even more unrighteous before God, Paul says, because we lied about Him. We as apostles lied about Christ. We apostles have been telling everyone that Christ was actually raised by the power of God, when in fact, if what you say is true, that never happened. That makes us liars. But worse than that, we bear false witness against God Himself. And it's interesting that he uses this example. Remember when they were selecting a new apostle to replace the, betray the betrayer, Judas, there's a specific requirement in place in order to be named or hold the office of apostle. You had to be one of the select few in this exclusive group who were actual eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. You had to be. You had to see him with your own eyes. You couldn't be an apostle without having seen him, known him, touched him, after he resurrected. And here's the truth of the matter regarding these apostles. 
They were either all telling the truth in the first century or they were all liars. Here again, Paul says, if that never happened, we are liars, plain and simple. If we can't trust them with the greatest truth in Christianity, folks, then today we're doomed. If they're all liars today, we sit here condemned. Which points to the next domino that falls in verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Can you think of any more frightening realization this morning than to find that you are still under condemnation? You are still facing eternity without Christ. Your future is still eternal separation from the Father. You see, Christ had to be raised victorious over sin. And if you're saying that never happened, Paul is arguing, then your sin is still victorious over you. And of course we know the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. Romans 6, 4, Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore... We were buried with Him through baptism to death, into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So our justification, we use that word sometimes, our justification is our being saved from the penalty of sin. And our sanctification is our being saved from the power of sin in our daily lives. We're being transformed in the power of the Spirit. And Paul here in Romans 6 connects Christ's resurrection with our own walking in newness of life. And one day in the future, we know that our glorification is being saved from the presence of sin forever. When all darkness and sin will be vanquished forevermore and we'll get to spend eternity in the presence of the Father in the eternal state. But the argument here is that if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, none of that matters. That won't happen either. Friends, if Jesus never rose victorious from the grave, the living have no hope, and there is no hope for those whom we've lost, who we love, who have already gone on in death before us. Look at the next domino to fall in verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They've perished. Remember what Jesus said in John eleven thirty five. Comforting words. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one that believes in me will live even though he dies. Well, those were just empty words if Jesus never defeated death himself. Just think about the ramifications for a moment. If we believe that because of Christ's resurrection, there is no victory in death, because Christ utterly destroyed its power over us, we believe the saints of old, the faithful heroes of Scripture, and all the faithful believers who are martyred for their faith, we believe that they all got the last word. We believe that if eternity is out there in front of us, then all those who went to the grave because of their faith, that they get the last word, that they're invincible. All those who love Christ and made Him Lord, who looked in anticipation to His coming, yet their eyes were closed before they saw Christ returning home. 
All of those we dearly love who have closed their eyes in this body for the last time in the temporal bonds of earth, they open them again in His presence. They are still in His presence even now. They're in the presence of God. We comfort one another with those words and with those thoughts that those that have gone on before us, those that we love and have lost, that they're in the presence of Almighty God. They're in the arms of their Savior. That's how we comfort one another. This is what we believe. This is what gives us hope that we will see them again. And here Paul tells them that denying the resurrection brings with it a devastating reality, a crushing blow that they are gone forever. They are lost and we will never, ever see them again. Do you understand? If Christ is not risen. Proclaiming the gospel is pointless. Your faith is a farce. The apostles are all liars. Sin is unforgivable. And the believers who looked ahead in hope found that their hope was in vain as is ours. Because if this is the case, you and I are all damned. We're doomed for eternity. When considering this powerful argument Paul is making, as we contemplate this truth, that final blow here in the passage makes perfect sense. Look at verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. We out of all humanity are most to be pitied. Why? Because there is a cost to following Jesus. And at times, the cost is very real. At times, it hurts. We lose friends and family members because of the gospel. Sometimes we're persecuted because of the gospel. Some even give their very lives for the cause of the gospel. The world tells us to embrace everything, just to love everyone unconditionally, to live it up, to collect all the toys, experience all the things that life and lust have to offer. And we as believers, we reject that with All that we are because we believe God's word. We believe it to be true. We believe Christ. His son was sent here to reconcile us to the father. And we hold to the belief that our eyes have been opened to the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And we trust that wholeheartedly. Amen? That is what we believe. That Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. We've put all of our eggs in one basket. We've turned away from the world and all of its ways. So if Jesus has not risen, then brothers and sisters, this morning, you and I have lost everything. We've lost everything. All that we most hold dear, our very comfort in this life and our comfort in death is gone. We've wasted our life on a lie, and so we must be pitied above all men. We are the most tragic, pitiful, foolish people to ever walk the face of the earth. And Paul lays them bare with this argument. Even now, his words, as I'm prepared, even as I prepared the sermon, these words tore at my heart, considering the implications of such what we would call a terrible disaster, such crushing crushing concepts to consider in our lives. But the Holy Spirit is not finished with the church at Corinth. And He's not finished with us in this passage of Scripture because Paul continues writing 
these inspired words written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. But now, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has been raised from the dead. Christ is risen. It's true. Give me your attention, he says. He's been raised from the dead, so that despair that you just felt a moment ago, all of it's been turned on its head. All of it's upside down. Christ has been raised. Everything we believe is true. One pastor quoted this poem, imagining three perspectives on the passion of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. It was moving to me as I studied, and perhaps it will be moving to you as well. It goes like this. I heard two soldiers talking as they came down the hill, the somber hill of Calvary, bleak and black and still. And one said, the night is late, these thieves take long to die. And one said, I'm sore afraid, and yet I don't know why. I heard two women weeping as down the hill they came. The one was like a broken rose, and one was like a flame. One said, men shall rue this deed their wicked hands have done. And one said, only through her tears, my son, my son, my son. I heard two angels singing, ere yet the dawn was bright, and they were clad in shining robes, robes and crowns of light. And one sang, death is vanquished, and then in golden voice one sang, Christ has conquered, conquered all, O heaven and earth rejoice. My friends, Christ has risen. He has risen indeed victorious over all. Proclaiming the gospel is our greatest mission. It is our most blessed hope. It's all true. Your faith is not in vain. The apostles spoke the truth and they believed it to such a degree that they died for their truth. They died for what they believed. They saw the resurrected Christ. So this morning we can all rejoice if we are in Christ because your sins have been vanquished. They've been forgiven. If in fact you've made Christ your Lord. If in fact you have repented and believed the gospel. The myriads of believers who put their hope in the risen Christ. The truth is they stepped from this world. And the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord or present with the Lord. So instantaneously they stepped into the presence of their almighty loving creator. It's all true. Young people look at me. It's all true. It's all true. Do you hear me? It's all true. Christ has risen. And Paul says he was the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He was the first harvest, guaranteeing the final harvest. You see, the first fruits, what, a, what an incredible picture. Before harvest, they would go out into the field and they would gather one bundle of grain and they would bring it in as an offering. That first fruits is what they're saying Christ was. His was but the first resurrection in what will be the harvest of all of those who put their faith in Him. The resurrection is coming. 
you and I will be resurrected. And Paul will explain all of this to us in the remaining chapter. And it's a glorious truth to behold. But folks, we have reason that as we celebrate that, that God stepped into man's flesh and he, and he became obedient even to death on a cross and we can look at our own lives and see how we have fallen short of His glory, of God's glory and we put our faith in Christ alone, in what He's done, only Him, only His work, in His death, His burial, His resurrection, He's ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. He's coming back again and He will make all things new. That's our hope. And if this morning you repent and you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and you make it your life's passion to follow Him and serve Him, you'll walk on that path of righteousness with Him. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to visit us in person, we meet at 1015 every Sunday morning at the Glenpool Conference Center. You are always welcome.